Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The Volume. Hoops Tonight is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. The football season is coming and there's no better place to start making every moment more than with FanDuel. I just love using this app. It's super user-friendly and safe. They have such a deep repertoire of odds and markets for every sport, and they have same-game parlays. You guys remember the same-game parlays that Liv Moods and I were throwing out during the NBA playoffs for the volume. Those were a ton of fun. All around, it's by far the best sports gambling experience I've come into contact with. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code JasonT so they know I sent you. Again, promo code JasonT so they know I sent you. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, permitted parishes only, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. one 877 8 Hope NY or text Hope NY to 467-369 in New York. In Tennessee Redline, dial 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Wednesday, everybody. I hope all of you guys are having a great week so far. We got a packed show for you today. Today is Mailbag Day. We're going to be going over all of your 
questions and complaints and concerns about my top 25 NBA players list that we worked on over the course of the last month. You guys know the drill. Before we get started, subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore Jason LT so you guys don't miss show announcements. And last but not least, if you miss one of these shows and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish them, you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under Hoops Tonight. All right, so here is the plan for today. Like I promised, what I would like to do is shout out two of you guys who took the time to explain with basketball why you disagreed with something on my list. Like one of my biggest pet peeves with these lists is people just yell and scream at each other. And there's not a whole lot of constructive basketball discourse. And so I wanted to kind of promote that a little bit. So I wanted to shout out a couple of you guys. Uh, first off, a Mr. Henry. Thanks for uh, commenting, Henry. I think Trey Young should be top 25. He's such an unbelievable offensive engine in the regular season. I agree with your point that he is limited a little more in the playoffs, but I think that has a lot to do with surrounding talent, not a single other guy on the team. He can create really any sort of advantage at all. He basically is the entire Hawks offense. I don't think you are entirely unreasonable, though, since he is also one of the five worst defensive players in the league. Thank you, Henry, first of all. And look, you're right, man. Like, if you value the offensive engine as much as I do, which I really do, then in theory... If you surround him with the right types of pieces and put him in a situation where he can really divert all his energy towards offense and you can cover for him on the defensive end of the floor, there is a scenario where he can be a lot more valuable than the people above him on this list. Now, as a totality, I still, especially on the offensive end with Trey, I think he's a little bit more limit, limited creating shots in a playoff situation where teams can scout him. They stay glued to him as he comes over the top of screens. Refs aren't giving him the foul calls anymore when he jumps back into people. And if you look into the numbers, he's really, really weak finishing around the basket. So if you can funnel him off of his pick and rolls to the basket, he's going to struggle to finish. So I find even some of his offensive engine stuff to be limited. But what you're saying, Henry, is completely fair. And he certainly does have a case to be in the top 25. That's why I had that top 29. The idea there was, is there's 29 players, I'm picking 25. But hey, the gap between 29 and 11 is really not that big of a gap. The uh, second one I wanted to shout out was Suleiman. I don't think Ingram should be ahead of Dame, Jaw, or Booker. Why? Even though Dame missed out this season, he has been a beast. Jaw and D Book were in the same MVP discussions at some point. All you had to say about BI was a six-game playoff series in which he played well. You left Jokic out of the top three because he hasn't done enough. The same case could be made for B.I. He doesn't have enough material to be in the top 20. Did he have a good six-game run? Yes. Is it enough? No. So first of all, thank you, Suleiman. You're absolutely right. I, I, I never try to hide the fact that I'm biased. I really like Brandon Ingram, and I'm absolutely ranking him there based a lot on what I expect from him this season. The truth of the matter is, is his defensive performance, especially in the last few years, hasn't been up to par for what his abilities are. And I have him up that high because I consider him to be an excellent wing defensive player because I know he can be and I know he was against Phoenix. And what you're saying is I'm being inconsistent with the way I've applied my criteria. And that's completely fair. So Henry and Suleiman, thank you guys so much. Again, with this kind of stuff, I'd much rather have you guys just get into my mentions and tell me why you disagree with stuff based on the basketball. All right, so we are going to bring my guy Carson on. You guys remember Carson from when we were breaking down the games during the NBA playoffs. 
He's obviously going to have a bone to pick with me about Mr. Jokic down at number seven. We're going to get all into, into that as well as a bunch of mailbag questions from you guys. What's up, Carson? How you doing, man? I'm great, Jason. It's incredible to be back, and I'm just sorry that it had to come under these circumstances by which you so actively disrespected Nikola Jokic. <laughs> I think to me, the point where things get indefensible in my eyes is when you put him below Jason Tatum, when you have Tatum six and Jokic seven, because philosophically, I totally understand your principle of valuing wings and perimeter initiators more than bigs. I understand the defensive liability element of it, the slow footedness, but I think that there's a big difference between an equivalent wing and an equivalent big and a big who is just way better at basketball, which is who, <laughs> what I think Jokic is compared to Tatum. And there's a few key things I think there. First of all, Jokic is not like any other big on the planet. You talk about how it's easier to deny bigs their ability to initiate offense than a guy who can just bring the ball up the court. And of course that's true, but it's less true for Jokic than anybody else on the planet. I mean, he is to me the best offensive player alive, and he is as complete of an offensive engine as a big man without being a freak athlete can be. Like they run inverted pick and roll and he crushes people. You know, he runs off screens and he kills people. He's really improved as a cutter this year. He can bring the ball up the floor. He pushes in transition. And then, of course, you get all the post stuff. You get him as a role, man. Like, he does everything. He scored more than Tatum this year in the regular season and the playoffs. Did so way more efficiently. Obviously has way more of a playmaking impact. Is a genius passer. And pretty much always makes the best possible decision. Sees things on the basketball court that other people just don't see locating. Cutters and shooters. And ultimately, just elevated a team of journeymen where Aaron Gordon's the second best player on his basketball team to play as an elite team in terms of point differential when he was on the floor in an elite offense, whereas they were miserable without him. They were a better offense than the Celtics were. And I understand, I really do, your anti-exploitability take and like why you would have Trey off your top 25, right? Some of those fundamental glaring issues, being one of the worst defenders in basketball period is a massive problem. The thing with me when I compare him to Tatum is that Tatum has glaring issues too. They don't always show up, but he still regresses into the bad shot selection. The guy shot 32% on twos in the finals. Like that's a tendency that still very much exists for him in the bad moments. He can still struggle to read doubles. You know, he was four plus turnovers a game in the playoffs. And there were some really bad games there where he's kind of the fundamental issue with the Celtics offense. So if it's LeBron, you know, this complete incredible offensive engine who can attack downhill, who can kill you with the jump shooting genius playmaker, who when he's engaged, you think, yes, good defender. If it's, you know, Giannis, right? Unbelievable two-way force. I can understand those arguments. But I just think when you're talking about offensive production and efficiency, we've never seen versus a player who is still legitimately flawed offensively in Jason Tatum. It feels to me like it's a little bit too far in the direction of principle of, you know, I value this kind of player versus these are who these two specific players actually are. So that's the real sticking point for me is once we get to Tatum, I, I can't I can't have it. I can't have it without pushing back hard. <laughs> that That's very well put, Carson. Um, with Tatum particularly, to me, it was uh, a payment of respect to what was a really impressive playoff run. You know how like we we sometimes with LeBron will do like the blind LeBron tests. Like if it wasn't LeBron that was averaging, you know, 
28, seven and seven for two months on 55% shooting from the field and 38% from three or it's like some of his stretches during the regular season. If it wasn't LeBron, we would just be fawning over the guy for what he did. Right. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the way I look at this, the Jason Tatum's playoff run. Like if I told you that Jason Tatum was the best player on a team that came two wins away from an NBA championship, that he was arguably the best perimeter defensive player in that entire playoff field and took on defensive assignments that were deeply impactful uh, for his team, including basically shutting down Kevin Durant in single coverage uh, in the first round of the playoffs and averaging, you know, whatever, whatever it was, I, I had it all earlier, but like 27 points per game on about just, just under 60% true shooting, you know, while having eight games where he had at least seven assists and his team goes in eight, no, or whatever, whatever the numbers were. If I told you that a player did that and his name was Kawhi Leonard, you'd be like, oh man, that's an all-time great playoff run, just barely came short. If I said Kevin Durant, you'd be like, all-time great playoff run, just barely came up short. Because it's Jason Tatum, we hyper-focus on the flaws and we go like, yep, oh, he's just not ready yet. And the reality was, is he had as dominant of a two-way playoff run as we see from wings in the NBA with an incredibly difficult pathway through a ton of really good teams. He Dude, his game six in Milwaukee to send that series to game seven, the way he executed Milwaukee on their home floor to send that game back, that series back to Boston, like he had a dominant playoff run. So it was kind of a, me paying an homage to that. Now, as far as the rankings in general go, I'll be honest with you. I cared a lot less about the numbers, so to speak, as I did about actually diving into the players and their skill sets, looking at their strengths and weaknesses. So if you wanted to tell me you thought Jokic was about Tatum, that's fair. I put him up there as a payment of respect for what was a dominant playoff run. I'm always going to value that stuff more. Jokic, yes, it's the team's fault, but the reality of this situation is, is he's facing back-to-back first-round exits. And in the 2020 playoffs, after outplaying Nikola Jokic, he was outplayed by Anthony Davis. So the way that I look at it, for me, even though this is not an anti-Jokic take, I don't dislike the player. He's actually one of my favorite young players in the league. I'm just going to wait to see him have consistent deep runs into the playoffs where he continues to produce the way that he's producing before I move him up that list in front of players that are making deep uh, playoff runs. You know, uh, Tatum's been to the conference finals before. He's been to the NBA finals before. I just am giving him a little bit more uh, credit there. Obviously, Jokic has had an Eastern Conference finals run as well. I really appreciated the way you broke down his game. His versatility is ridiculous. The two things that you hit on that are so underappreciated with Jokic is the transition stuff, his ability to start fast breaks by getting rebounds and hitting his wings running the floor, his ability to make those decisions and dribble if there's no passing option is what allows his guards and wings to run the floor as opposed to having to come back to get the basketball. That's a lot of value. And then secondly, those inverted ball screens. And this is such an interesting concept that a lot of uh, people are seeing more frequently in the NBA because we have so many skilled big men. But when you invert the ball screen, you're turning a guard into a screen defender. And no guard knows how to defend a screen. Bigs will sit and drop coverage in high school. They'll sit and drop coverage in college. They'll sit and drop coverage in the NBA. They've run ice. They've run level. They've run every single type of ball screen coverage that exists. That's what they do for a living every day. A guard does not. A guard does not know how to defend a ball screen. They have no idea what the principles are. It doesn't make sense to use them in a drop because they're too small. So running these inverted ball screens where all of a sudden Jokic is the ball handler and the guard is uh, is the one that's defending the screen. It just, it, it just throws all these teams in a loop. And Jokic, that's what makes him an alien. And that's what makes him so unique. And 
I have, uh, that's my one thing I want to get across with this Jokic thing as a final little take here. I have the utmost respect for Jokic. I absolutely believe he's capable of being the best player in the league, but right now his defensive limitations covering in space and in transition and the, the fading of his perimeter jump shot for me, leave him out of that conversation. That's just, that's just my two cents. I, I, I appreciate the hell out of his game. And I think you've laid that out really well, Carson, but that's just where my reasoning was at. If I can launch one final little mini defense, the team success <laughs> stuff is so brutal because they did win a playoff series last year. It was against a no defense Portland team. Oh, I forgot about that. You're right. That's very important. Guys, clarification. Jason was wrong. They did not lose back-to-back first round series that garbage ass Portland team did lose to them. And his best perimeter initiator for that series was Monte Morris. And you say what you want about Monte Morris. Like he's a good basketball player. He's a good role player, but that's just an absurd talent deficit compared to teams that are contending. And meanwhile, individually, This year, he was 31 a game on 64% true shooting in that series. Last year, he was 30, 12, and 5. Like, he's doing his thing. He's killing people. He just has completely incomparable talent to the teams that are contending. So I will continue to defend him. I think, to me, he's certainly in that top three, and I think he's the best offensive player alive. So with that, Somebody else seems to agree with me. We'll get to the mailbag here. We've got lots of good replies from Twitter. This is from Hefe at Still Outcha. He says, Yoke is stamped as the best passing big ever. His secondary skill was scoring, but over the last two years, he's elevated his scoring volume and efficiency to match his primary skill of playmaking. He's also an elite rebounder on both ends. So is Yoke the best offensive player in the NBA, Jason? I don't think so. But it's largely because I have so much respect for what LeBron James and Steph Curry can do. Um, I think Steph Curry has demonstrated that at length. I've gotten into detail on this in both of their deep dives that I did um, uh, during our top 25 list, so I won't go too far into it. With Jokic and with Luka, I think they enter into that conversation um, and are very much like at a very similar level. It's just me paying respect to the guys that have been there and done that. You know, what you were saying with Jokic is true. He was incredible against the Warriors this year. He was incredible last year through two rounds of the playoffs. I just, it's it's one of those things where it's like, I'm ready to see him do it on the next level. Like, I, I, I'm ready for Jamal Murray to come back and hopefully for uh, Michael Porter Jr. to get healthy because I want to see Jokic do this with real stakes where, where he's asked to over the course of a seven game series, navigate the chess match and beat teams that have all world superstars on the other end and that can attack his weaknesses, but he can attack their weaknesses. I just want to see him play with real stakes. I I have no doubt that he can be a dominant regular season basketball player. I have no doubt that he can beat teams like the Portland Trailblazers and put up big numbers while losing to better teams. I'm ready to see him beat better teams. I know it's his roster's fault. I'm a thousand percent aware of that. However, before I move him up this list, I want to see him get that good roster and get some W's under his belt so that he can earn that spot in the league. Yeah, I mean, this year is going to be a fascinating opportunity because last time we saw Delphi Nuggets, it was a conference finals run. And we'll see what that looks like this year. Obviously, West is loaded, but I have my faith in Jokic. (laughs) I I put it all out there and uh, there's nothing more for me to say there. Okay, we've got another question here from at Raid Romo. Based on your criteria, size, playoff trans- translatability, availability, defensive versatility, playmaking, three-level scoring, 
shouldn't Andrew Wiggins be ranked higher than James Harden? Or perhaps who do you think is a better playoff player? So I had a hard time with this when I was doing my list because, you know, Golden State shouldn't be winning the championship without another top 25 player in theory. But there's a huge difference between ranking basketball players in a vacuum versus evaluating and applying like a a metric to account for a player's value in their specific system. Like Draymond is not a top 25 basketball player in the world, but he is top 25 in his impact within the Warriors system. And that's kind of the way that like, to me, comparing what James Harden has to do as the primary perimeter initiator for the Philadelphia 76ers to Andrew Wiggins and what he did for the Warriors is impossible because there's very little comparison there. You know, Andrew Wiggins was primarily a release valve. He would attack on possessions when he felt like he had a significant advantage or when Steph needed to take some rest. He was being guarded softly by every defense that he faced. Not a discredit to him, just the realities of him playing alongside Jordan Poole and Klay Thompson and Steph Curry. He's consistently in single coverage. He's not facing help defense. He's frequently attacking closeouts, meaning his defender is helping somewhere else on the floor and then running out to Andrew Wiggins, where Andrew Wiggins is beating people off the dribble and then dunking on people. What Andrew Wiggins did in this playoff run was deeply impactful, immensely valuable. That goes without saying, but that's not the same as being as good at basketball as James Harden. And so for me, like, even though I think Andrew Wiggins was the second best player on that Warriors team, and that therefore means he had a top 25 type of impact on that Warriors team. If I'm ranking basketball players, I'm going to get to about at least 30 before I get to Andrew Wiggins. And, and it's just, it's more just differentiating between value in a system versus a player in a vacuum, if that makes sense. I think the tendency to try to sort of overrate Wiggins or throw him into a tier that he probably doesn't belong in is really interesting. And you addressed it in one of the videos when you were going through your top 25. And it made me think of, I just read Thinking Basketball by Ben Taylor, which is a really good basketball book. And one of the things that he talks about is sort of the fallacy that we tend to overrate the impact of the lone superstar. And if they don't have another like clear star level guy alongside them, then we can, you know, underrate the collective value of the team, or we can try to look and elevate somebody to that second star status because Andrew Wiggins isn't a top 25 player in basketball. He was really good. And he did a lot of those winning things, but the warriors were a great team and they won the title. So obviously people want to elevate that second star, but it's like, well, there's four other really high-level players alongside Steph, four, five guys in total who you know can be close to that top 50. So in the aggregate, that's an elite basketball team. So that's just kind of what that makes me think of because you see it over and over again with people trying to put Wiggins into that conversation. But, of course, I agree with you. I mean, in the star basketball player role, who can do more to elevate, who can do more to create offense, all these things, it's clearly James Harden. And... We have another Harden-related question here. Really quickly, before you move on, because I I wanted to shout this out because I didn't get a chance to in the top 25 list, and I should have done it just a minute ago. Um, The job that Andrew Wiggins did guarding Luka Doncic and Jason Tatum was such an incredibly valuable thing to the Warriors' ability to win those two playoff series. Um, 
I expected Luca to have a lot more success against Andrew Wiggins than he did. It's a testament to his improvements on as a wing defender over the course of the last couple of years. And then he basically was the only guy in this playoff run who made Jason Tatum consistently uncomfortable. So I, w- I would say that, you know, I had said earlier that I think Jason Tatum is potentially the best perimeter defender in the league. I think Andrew Wiggins has firmly entered that conversation. Wow. And that's a, and that's a ton of credit to him. Like, to go back to back through Luca and Tatum the way that he did is beyond impressive, and he deserves a ton of credit for that. Wow, I mean that's a pretty remarkable claim, just given what he was for his entire time yeah. in Minnesota. You know, just such an overwhelming disappointment on that end, so consistently disengaged. Okay, so as I said, we have another hard related question here. This one's from Kyle's takes. He says, "What's up, Jason? Just finished watching your Steph Curry video. Just wanted to ask, what's the difference?" when you say great offensive engine versus a heliocentric player, just for clarification's sake for you, is Houston Harden a great offensive engine or a heliocentric player? So I look at it as kind of like a Venn diagram type of concept, like um, that there's some overlap there. So to me, heliocentric means that you're initiating every possession with the live dribble, uh, uh, bringing the ball up the floor and making every single decision, right? Where, whereas an offensive engine more has to do with a player that is responsible for creating shots for the vast majority of the possessions of the game, rather than just a play finisher, right? So for instance, an Anthony Davis is like a play finisher. An offensive engine is more like a LeBron James who, you know, for two thirds of the possessions of the game, he's either creating a shot off the dribble himself for himself, creating a shot off the dribble for someone else. He's a decoy as a screener. He's moving without the bat. Like he's doing all these different things to create shots. And, you know, the Steph Curry is another great example of that. That offensive engine piece has to do with your possession by possession role, which is to create shots for your team. Heliocentric has to do with the way you are doing it. So Steph is not heliocentric because he does so much work without the basketball. You know, Jokic, for instance, is he, he there's some heliocentrism to him, but not a ton because he will act as a screener so so frequently for his ball handlers. The James Harden, Luka Doncic, LeBron James is really the best of this group, but that that I bring the ball up the floor every possession and I make all the decisions. That to me is heliocentric basketball. It's like more of the method versus the role. And there is absolutely some overlap there. As far as James Harden goes, he is both. He's a heliocentric offensive engine. He's just declined so much as a player over the course of the last couple of years that he's not really in those conversations with the best players in the league. I will say this though. I made a prediction that I thought that he would have learned his lesson after these last two injury plagued seasons and the Intel the social media posts, it appears that Harden looks like he's in better shape than he's been in in a long time. Can't take that to the bank. He's got to do it during the 82-game regular season, but it looks like he. I may have been on the right track there. It looks like Harden is starting to get into some better shape and he's also doing some post work in his pickup runs, which is interesting as well. Yeah, you were definitely early on the Harden comeback year bandwagon, <laughs> but that narrative is definitely starting and that would be a lot of fun because obviously... I mean, that just takes Philly to a different level, an extremely talented team if he's, you know, top 15 kind of player, James Harden. So one of the issues that we saw with your list that a lot of people talked about was saying that Kevin Durant at number three was too high, having him above LeBron, having him above Jokic, particularly given his playoff letdown against the Celtics and what was obviously a pretty brutal series. So 
What's your response to that, Jason? And how do you defend and explain that placement of KD? To me, it was the way he failed against Boston. Um, you know, I'm, ne- I'm never going to rewrite a player's entire basketball resume over one week of basketball, which is what that first round series against Boston was. It was one week of basketball. When you look into the film, he was getting all of the same KD shots he always gets. And he just wasn't making them. This is a player who made half of his pull-up jump shots this year. Literally 49% of his pull-up jump shots went in this year on a huge volume. I think it was over 600 attempts. And then we get into this Boston Celtics series, you know, he makes about a third of them. It's, it's a make or miss league. Boston kind of had his number. He lost his confidence and his rhythm a little bit. I did not see any sort of massive physical decline or inability to get to the types of shots that he likes to get. So to me, it's like, it really is this simple. He had a bad series and I get it with recency bias. We have a, a tendency to cling to that sort of thing and have a hard time kind of like contextualizing it. But again, what happened one year prior, less than one year prior because of the way that the season started late, like less than one year prior, he was the same KD that we all know. The one that is as unguardable of an isolation player that there is in basketball, which effectively makes him an antidote for any type of playoff defense. And the Milwaukee Bucks did everything right in that series and still came literally this close to losing to an undermanned Nets team because of what Kevin Durant can do scoring the basketball, regardless of the defense that he's facing. That's Kevin Durant. I know that's Kevin Durant because that's what Kevin Durant has been his entire career, with the exception of a handful of bad series. He had a bad series against the Memphis Grizzlies. He had a bad series against the Golden State Warriors. And he had a bad series against the Boston Celtics. Those three have been mixed around a ton of really impressive playoff performances. He is a pull-up jump shooter. So he's going to have stretches where he doesn't shoot well. That's a natural side effect of that archetype. On Monday, I did a whole video about that, about the superstar archetypes. And I talked about how these big scoring wings, they're a little susceptible to their shot going cold. It happened to Kawhi Leonard against the Denver Nuggets in the bubble, if you guys remember. So it's just kind of a part of the downside with that archetype, but the upside is still there. He still is an unguardable isolation player who can be a dominant rim protector when he's engaged defensively. To me, don't ignore all of that just because he had a bad week of basketball. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Does the craziness of everyday life leave you feeling stressed and shedding? Since having kids, have you started to see a little more of your scalp? Are you unhappy with your hairline? When it comes to thinning hair, there are many root causes at play, and Nutrafol addresses them through a multi-targeted, whole-body approach. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement, with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, and faster-growing hair with less shedding. Physician-formulated with drug-free ingredients, Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting key root causes of thinning. Stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and metabolism through whole body health. 
Take their hair wellness quiz at Nutrafol.com for a personalized hair health plan based on your specific root causes. With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription, or doctor's visits required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day and you'll see results in three to six months. Take the first step to visibly thicker and healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code Hoops. That's H-O-O-P-S. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code Hoops, H-O-O-P-S. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code Hoops. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I could not agree with you more. And just some more stats to provide context to that. You talk about the resume. This was his first playoff run under 60% true shooting, which is an elite mark since he was an OKC. It's his first playoff run, <laughs> not scoring 28 or more points per game since his first ever appearance when he was 21 years old. And I mean, you know, the raw production was still there. It was just the turnovers and it was the inefficiency, but I completely agree with you. Of course. I mean, he's as perfect a pull-up jump shooter as there is. He's, to me, a top two score of the basketball of all time, like the reactionary stuff of it all is ridiculous. And one playoff ago was one of his most outstanding individual performances ever where he put up 34 game in that run. And we know what he did pushing Milwaukee as a score and a playmaker. So I don't think anybody's seen skill regression since then. Nothing changed with him during the regular season. He had a really bad matchup and a really bad series. And that's that. So his regular season numbers were insane, insane, like off the charts insane. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he's gotten better as a playmaker. He had a career season there. He had his highest scoring season in almost a decade on mind-blowing efficiency. And nothing that he's doing there is not replicable. I mean, he's as unguardable of a player as there is because you talk about with the pull-up jump shooting mold, when you're deadly accurate and you're seven feet tall and you have the handle that he does, like it's really, really hard to take that away. So I agree with you. I think it's clearly an outlier performance. And I think that people generally have been overly reactionary to that as is kind of the tendency with all things. But it's like you said, it's a week. It's four games. It's not even, you know, a normal full series. But we did see, of course, Jason Tatum and that Celtics defense overall give him some fits and make some things tough in that matchup, applying some pretty intense pressure, causing him to lose the handle, the turnovers increase. We've talked about Tatum a bit already, and Jason, you're obviously a big advocate of his and what he did in that run. We have a question from Matt Dubois, 22, on Twitter. Could you see Tatum taking that leap into the top three to five guys by the end of next season, Jason? It's possible. The, the problem is, is the guys that are ahead of him are very good as well as the guys that are rising with him are very good. Like it's hard for me to imagine him passing Luca. You know what I mean? Like it's hard for me to, it, it, it's it, like Steph Curry is still very much at the top of his game. 
LeBron is going to be fading out of this picture, but even Kevin Durant probably has another solid three or four years at the top of his game. Giannis has a stranglehold on that number one spot. So if you really start to think about it, we're looking at we're looking at uh, Steph, Giannis, KD, Luca at a minimum. But could Tatum crack into that five spot? Absolutely, it's all on the table. KD, you know, KD could decline. LeBron's declining. He, um, uh, the, the, the thing with you, the, with Tatum, that's going to be interesting to watch is his playmaking. This particular playoff run was very up, up and down for him in that regard, which is not exactly that big of a shock. He kind of was your textbook play finishing scoring wing who has been refashioned into more of a point forward type of archetype where he's making more decisions. And so you can tell when he's in that frame of mind and he's actively looking to pass the basketball and make plays for his teammates, everything is well-oiled and the numbers showed that. Just look, just go to basketball reference and look at this Celtics playoff run and sort for Tatum's assists from highest to lowest and see what happens with the wins and losses as a result of that. And you could see the opposite side of that in all of those ugly Boston Celtics losses. It was almost like Tatum's approach shifted. He would drive into traffic instead of viewing the traffic as an opportunity for him to hit an open teammate on the weak side of the floor. He was less willing to make, you know, like one of the bit most important things for a primary initiator is to just get the ball reversed. Like it, you don't have to every single time get into the paint and kick it out. Like it might be as simple as you just coming off of a ball screen, getting a help defender to commit a little bit, swing pass, and then go relocate. Like little stuff like that can do can do a lot to get a defense into rotation. And one of the things you'll notice with the best players of that ilk, the LeBrons and the Lucas of the world, the big point forwards, is they have dozens of possessions every game where they just do that. Just little simple things to kind of get the offense oiled and moving. You know what I mean? And and so if Tatum figures that out to where his frame of mind stays in the right place, where he's more active as a playmaker, then he absolutely enters into that group. Because now we're talking about a guy who can efficiently score 27, 28 points a game, who is capable of putting up seven assists a night, and who is one of the best perimeter defenders in basketball. And that that's basically Kevin Durant. So I don't see any reason why he can't enter into that conversation. He just needs some guys to decline. And then he needs to become more consistent as a playmaker. I think regardless, I mean, what's undeniable with all of this is just the insane talent in the league. I mean, you go 10 deep and you're still looking at clear superstar caliber players. I mean, you had Kawhi at 10, right? And part of that is obviously health availability, what he's done lately. But regardless, Kawhi Leonard, you know, three years ago led like an all-time playoff run and hasn't like really regressed as a basketball player since then. He just hasn't been healthy. So take whoever you want out of that list, you know, and beat at eight, Jokic at seven. Like it's just crazy, crazy basketball talent. Okay. So we've got a little bit more pushback here from Dele Odu on Twitter, who says LeBron should be the second best player behind Giannis because if you switch out LeBron and any player, he would accomplish more than that player. And they would do less than LeBron did with the Lakers. The only exception to that is Giannis. What do you think about that, Jason? So obviously the bane of my existence is Steph fans and LeBron fans, which is positively hilarious to me because they are literally my two favorite players. LeBron's my favorite player in the world and Steph is my second favorite player in the world. But because I don't literally worship the ground they walk on and because I and because I take my job seriously as someone who's who's analyzes the game and is supposed to be fair and unbiased, even though I, I, I have my biases, I try to fight them as much as I can. Like it, it just, I deal with this all the time where it's like, I'll... I have a 45 minute video on YouTube 
where 44 minutes of it is just me talking about how amazing Steph was. And there's just droves of Steph fans that are disappointed because I didn't actually say he was perfect. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) And it's like, and that's one of those things like, here's the thing, LeBron fans. If I had a playoff series tomorrow and I was certain that LeBron James was healthy and the teams were evenly matched, there's a decent chance that I would think really hard about taking LeBron number one because of that specific scenario and how devastating I know he can be in that in a seven game series when he has chances to make adjustments and to wear on people physically and stuff. Here's the problem. That's, that's not how basketball works. There's 82 games and then you have to win four playoff series. The reality of the situation is LeBron James just played the worst defensive season of his entire career. And it was directly a, a one of the things that was responsible for that team being such an inconsistent effort team and such an atrocious defensive team. I can't in, in my right mind be like, he's above Steph. The dude who, even though he's not as impactful on the defensive end as LeBron when he's engaged, he at least tried on defense all season long. He set a tone for his team, which resonated down the roster and led to a perennially bad offense, a defensive player in Andrew Wiggins to have one of the most dominant defensive playoff runs we've seen from a wing. That what I can't in my right mind lift LeBron above guys who had better seasons. But yeah, if I if I had a series tomorrow, I might take him. But that's not what this question was. And, you know, LeBron fans, they, they have such a blind spot for this stuff. And, and, and it's crazy to me. Like, it's just, it's like his effort was downright embarrassing on a lot of nights this year. On a lot of nights. Like, I, I can't be like, oh, he's the best player in the world. That's just disrespectful to people who are trying harder, let alone that, are, that accomplished more this year, if that makes sense. I think that's very well put. And I think that there will always be the... Uh the LeBron people who uh, really cannot be reasoned with. It's like you said, LeBron and Steph, it's kind of some of the culture and uh, you're doing your best to cut through it, Jason. I think we can all appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) I think we can. And, you know, sure. Sometimes you're a little harder on Nikola Jokic than I would like, but it's always grounded in very sound basketball logic and, (laughs) you know, point out legitimate flaws in his game. And so even I can live with that, you know? All right. Last thing here, obviously, you went through 25. You shouted out in that first video the couple of guys who were among the first off. Who is the player who was not on your top 25 list this year who you expect to be on there next year? Oh, man, that's such a good question. Man, this could go a bunch of different directions. Um, you could look at rookies, right? Like... I'm super high on Jaden Ivy. I could see him really quickly becoming one of the most unguardable two guards that we have in the league. Um, uh, Paolo's ability to score the basketball is super interesting, but those guys are so young and they're so unpolished in the details of their game. It'd probably be unfair. Um, man, this is a tough one. I, I would say that the guy that I could see potentially venturing back into that list is a guy like Bradley Beal. Um, this is a guy that has ability at a similar level to Devin Booker. He's just nowhere near as committed on the defensive end of the floor. And he's been floundering in mediocrity with a, uh, with a team with the Washington wizards who actually put some quality role players around him this year. And then he got hurt, but you could see a version of this story where he gets healthy. 
and uh, the Wizards have quality role players around him and he has a better season where he averages 27 points a game and makes a, a playoff team. And then you have to put him onto that list. But man, this is tough. This is a this is a really tough question. I, I'm, I'm genuinely curious to hear what your opinion is, Carson. Well, I think Beal is a great choice. I think he's kind of the first guy who jumped out at me because, you know, his last two primarily healthy seasons before this one, he was 30 plus a game. He's progressed as a playmaker. Like you said, I mean, I've always thought that he and Book are the two most versatile scoring two guards who we have. Book maybe sets himself apart a bit with the post game. But outside of that, Bradley Beal can do everything pretty much as a scoring guard. I was thinking about the ascent of some young guys too, and I don't think we can expect it of any incoming rookies this year because that's a huge leap to take. But I was thinking about some guys from last year's class. I was thinking about Evan Mobley, potentially, if he progresses a a bit offensively, if the perimeter shot becomes more reliable, if he becomes a bit more assertive because defensively, you know, he's at that all-defense level. He's a good offensive basketball player with a really strong foundation. But it's insane how much talent there is. I mean, you know, I'm Scotty might, Barnes, Scotty, that rookie class. It could literally be, you know, I don't think Jalen Green can get there quite yet. But Cade, I could see totally, you know, having a 20 plus seven point per game, reasonably efficient season where he's a plus defender. It's just a monster class. So top 25 that early with how talented the league is right now is a lot to ask. But if anybody's going to do it, I think it's going to be that batch of guys. But I think Beal's a very good one as far as established guys who I'd expect to return. The last name that I'd like to throw out there is Zion Williamson. Oh, absolutely. If he has a season where he averages, you know, 28 points a game on 60% shooting or so, yeah. something ridiculous, like 56% shooting, like it's, and he's such a matchup problem too, that kind of automatically puts him on that list. Uh, the Pelicans are going to be a really interesting team to, to watch this year. And if they stay healthy, they'll, they'll, they'll be really interesting. Is that it for the mailbag? Is that all our questions? That's all we got. All right, everybody, as always, we sincerely appreciate your support and we will see you in a couple of days. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover... 
Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.